We're going to continue down the Culture Key series, and today I'm going to talk to you about the Culture Key that is to rest in promise, to rest in promise, to rest, to be in a posture of rest without anxiety and without worry because of the promises of God, and I trust that those will come true. Rest is a posture in God. I get to rest in God because what he said will always come true. His promises are yes and amen, so I get to rest and watch God do what God does. Now, my goal today, if you leave a little bit frustrated and slightly confused and irritated, that was a good message. So if you leave thinking, I've been wrong for a really long time, or man, I really got to rework some of the foundations of my life, I irritated you like that. That was a good thing. All right? We felt that during free service prayer, and I feel like that's going to happen. But a holy irritation. You know what I'm talking about? That holy, like, man, there's more than what I've experienced. In the past 15 years, if not the number one, one of the number one things that the Father has been teaching me about being a son is this concept of living in rest. This has been very hard for me. My mind moves fast, and I'm a doer. And the Father, as a son, is teaching me how to live and rest. So Jesus modeled this concept of rest for us. Rest is one of the foundational elements of living a kingdom lifestyle, and Jesus modeled this for us very well. There's an ever-so-famous story of Jesus getting in the boat with all the, all the disciples, and they think they're going to die, and Jesus is sleeping in the storm. Everyone know that story? So... Jesus has been doing life. He's anywhere from 30 to 33 years old when this event happens. He's living life. He, the Father has told him what's going to happen in the future. And he gets up to the lake. They're about to get in the boat. And Jesus says this, we're going to the other side. Now, Jesus could only say what the Father told him to say. So this is the Father saying, hey, you're going to go to the other side. They have a promise from God that they're going to the other side. Now, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. And a storm hits. Now, these are not novice fishermen. These, these men did this in real life. Like if I was on a boat and it rained at all, I'd be panicking. <laughs> they understood what a bad storm was, and they're freaked out. They go down to the bottom of the boat, they get Jesus, and they find Jesus literally sleeping in the storm. Now, a quote that we love here so much is, you can only have authority over a storm that you can sleep in. But think about the amount of rest that Jesus had to live in in order to be in a life-threatening, life-altering storm and him to be sleeping. Okay, now, how can Jesus be sleeping in a storm like that? Okay, number one, he had a promise from God. God told him, we're going to the other side. So Jesus is not stressed out in his process of, oh my gosh, are we going to make it? Why? He fully trusted the Father. He's thinking, oh, cool, there's a, I don't even need to wake up. The Father told me we're going to get to the other side. The posture that Jesus took in to even to take a nap during the storm, that amount of rest, Jesus is modeling this rest for us. I'm going to read you an incredible scripture in Matthew 11, 
verse 28 through 30. And I'm going to start with verse 25 because this is just really good scripture. This is Jesus inviting us into the rest that he's modeling. Jesus is modeling rest everywhere he went. And he's inviting you and I to partake into this rest. Okay, this is Matthew 11, verse 25 through 30. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Okay, at that time, Jesus, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such that was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. All right, you've got to catch this. Come to me, all who, are la- all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, this is Jesus. He's saying, guys, I, I figured it out. Everything the Father has now given all things to me, and I figured this thing out. I figured rest out. So here's the deal. You can come to me and pull on the strength of my life, and you can live in rest. This is Jesus in summoning you and I into living a lifestyle of rest with the Father. And Jesus is saying, what the assignments that I give, the things that I put on your life are not heavy. They're not heavy laden. I don't burden you down with meaningless tasks. I don't, burning, I don't burden you down with uh, Christian busyness. What I give leads to life. I don't put heaviness on you, and you can come to me, and you can find rest. This is God teaching you and I how to come in and partake and rest. Now, notice that Jesus says, come to me. What does that mean? That means we have options to go other places. How many of you have struggled with anxiety in the past and fear? Then you'll know what I'm talking about. Jesus is giving us an option here. Hey, guys, if you truly commune with me, I will give you rest for your soul. But if you don't, you can go to other places. For example, you can go to your iPhone. No one loves their phone as much as me, I promise. I love this thing so much. I love the entertainment. I love the information. I love the speed of it. I love ESPN. I love all of it. I just, I absolutely love this thing. I can go here if I want. Or I can go to a friend. Or I can use my job um, to cover up hidden pain in my life. Or I can do church activities. I can do chores around the house. I can do all these things that I'm trying, my, my restless mind can't figure it out, so I go to these short-term little fixes. And those of you, if you're a human in the room, you know what I'm talking about. All those are short-term fixes. They don't actually lead to rest. They'll get you through a night. They'll maybe get you through a season, but you will find yourself depleted. Your soul doesn't find that place of rest. Know what I'm talking about? Jesus is saying, if you come to me, I'll show you that rest. And he's the only person who has it. Okay. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that we are seated in heavenly places. Paul tells us that you and I are seated in heavenly places. Okay, I'm going to model that for you. 
Okay, when you're sitting down, you are not in a position of feeling threatened. When you are seated down in a heavenly place, I'm in a posture of rest. This is the Christian life. We are seated in heavenly places. Okay, Paul says that we were seated in Christ Jesus. Now, when Jesus died, he ascended, and he sat next to who? The Father. And then Jesus is sitting next to the Father, and then we are seated in heavenly places next to Jesus. So my heavenly position, this is not fictitious, this is facts in the Bible. This is not parabolic. I am seated here, Jesus is here, and the Father's here. Now, to make sure we're on the same page, Jesus is our warrior, our protector, and our head intercessor. And the Father is not mad. He's actually in a good mood all the time, and he delights in me. So I have the two most powerful beings of all time sitting next to me, protecting me. And I get to just sit and rest. See, the Christian life, you function from rest, not towards it. And then David says this, he's made our enemies our footstool. So this is, this is literally the Christian life. It is very difficult to feel stressed out in this position. This is how you relax. The Christian life should be one of relaxation. Now, from this posture, this is where the Father and Jesus teach you his vantage point. So problems come at you, and you don't run in anxiety, and you don't run in toil. You allow them to teach you how to manage yourself in that situation. So something happens in my life with one of my children. I look to Jesus, we talk about it, and he'll give me his perspective, and then I go do that thing. This is his vantage point. I'm bringing heaven to earth, sitting next to the Father, seated as royalty in a heavenly position and posture. All right. For some reason, it is so hard for you and I to stay in this freaking chair. We really enjoy getting out of it. All right, so everyone grab your chair. You feel that? Okay. The cross broke toiling. Adam, when he sinned, the Bible says, the Father said, now the ground's going to fight back at you. That was toiling. The cross broke toiling. So we don't toil anymore. We live in rest. The cross brought in rest. The only thing you have permission to toil for is to make sure you keep your butt in this chair. You should fight night and day to make sure you are living in rest. This is not namaste, some fake peace position. I'm talking about living a life fully in rest. Now, in this posture of rest, I am not talking about taking a nap. I am not talking about vacation. I am not talking about being lazy or not getting anything done. I'm talking about completing all of the things that the Father has for us at his pace. Can I get an amen? All right. I am a professional at standing up and walking away from this chair. I have spent the past 15 years of my life running outside of the chair and the father violently grabbing me and trying to keep me down in the chair. See, I have a problem being content. I, I'm a doer. I'm a thinker. My mind moves really fast. And so that's good in the right context. That's bad when I'm supposed to be relaxing with my family. And so I have this restlessness to me that I'm trying to figure out with the Father of how to calm myself before him. I spent most of my 20s doing fantastic Christian things. If I put up my 
you know, statistics of what I accomplished from 25 to 30, I would all be like, man, that would be fantastic. And I did all of it running around like a chicken with my head cut off and doing none of it for the Father. He's not asking me to do any of it. And I'm just running around thinking that this is accomplishing the great goals that God has for me. See, I was Mary. I was Martha, not Mary. We've all heard the story of Mary and Martha, right? There's a story of Jesus being in a living room and Mary's just hanging out at his feet. She's just listening to him. Well, Martha's in the kitchen. She's making sandwiches that Jesus didn't order. And Martha is upset about this. Religion is upset about people living in rest. And when they look at us, Martha looks at Mary and says, doesn't talk to her, talks to God. Are you just going to let her sit there and do nothing? I love that. She's not worried about the heart-to-heart connection. She's just like, well, what about her? So, and this is Jesus' response. He says, hey, she's found the one thing that matters. The one thing. He literally says the one thing that matters. That's incredible. You found the one thing that matters. We're learning this in school. Papa Bill said this. He said, I hear people still say that uh, Marthas are needed. He says, that's a lie. That was a Martha saying that, trying to validate her identity. <laughs> and and Mike, <laughs> Mike Bickle says, you, lovers will always get more done than doers will ever get done. So it, it's when, when you posture your life living in rest, when it's time to make the sandwiches for Jesus, they'll have the presence of God on them. And you're not toiling in everything that you do. So I'm a professional at getting out of the chair. So I'm really talking to myself here. Okay. There are two main reasons, and well, there's a bunch, but for the sake of today, I feel like I should, I should share these two. These two main reasons why you and I get out of this posture of rest. Number one is what I call performance Christianity. Performance Christianity is this. It is this idea that I can accomplish enough things for God to love me. I can check off the task list enough and show it to God, and he'll love me more. And then I can show other people, and we get this ecosystem where we're all like bragging about our Christian deeds that has nothing to do with God. And so in this whole taskless thing, we're chasing this endless list. It's like a treadmill. You're not going anywhere, but you're exhausted. And it's this constant checklist. Here's the problem. There is no checklist from God. God doesn't give the checklist, so you can do this for 40 years. Literally, you can just keep in your own task list that is not from God. You can just, well, I'm doing all these good things, doing all these good things, and it's not getting you anywhere. And this idea that we can perform for God is a lie. Do we really think that we can outdo God? Like, do we really think he works that way? Like, I can do a song and dance and that moves God. Like, how foolish is that? So this whole concept of performing for God to love me is a complete lie. Can we not do that? He even says, hey, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Like, he's so on the opposite side of that. Not only do I not want you to do task list, I don't care if anyone knows what you're doing. You don't need to tell anyone about it. I would. The currency of heaven works in the secret place. Okay, 
The second thing, which is a, such a gigantic topic that we don't have time to fully dive into, but it's a lack of trust with God. All relationships are based on the strength of a relationship is the exact measure of the trust of that relationship, period. It, there is no way around that. It doesn't matter if you're using a vendor at your job, if you're selling something uh, with your spouse, with your children, it doesn't matter. The strength of the trust that you have will determine how strong the relationship is. So this is what happened. I'm sitting in the chair, and I lose trust with God. Things start coming at me, and I get anxious. And so I think, well, I'm going to get out of the chair and like take care of this thing. And the Father and Jesus are looking at me like, oh, it's okay. We're not taking care of that right now. You just want me to do this? Yeah, we're good. We're good. All right, we're good. We're just going to let this fire just keep going. And this posture is, in, is living in rest. See, when I step outside of trust, I start doing, doing this doing thing. Christian busyness is misplaced priorities. Christian busyness is misplaced priorities. This busybody thing that we can get involved with, he's just asking us to stay in the chair. All right, Here, here's the thing. If I'm going to perform or if I'm going to not trust him, do we really think that we care more about the situation than God does? See, this is what I'm saying when I get out of the chair because I don't trust that he's going to take care of the situation. I'm saying I don't think that you're going to fix it. I don't think that you're going to do it in the right time, so I'm going to get out of the chair and go do it. Are you with me? This is God. This is us. We're supposed to be in this tandem with God in this posture all the time of like, I move when you move. You teach me as we move. So living in this place of trust. All right. All of that is God calling us to live a life of surrender. Uh, in the kingdom, this works this way. It doesn't work to our natural mind. In the kingdom, God has called us to lay down our guns. God has called us to lay down our weapons. He's called us to lay down our defenses. He's called us to lay down our pain. And in the kingdom, that's a sign of strength. Like, you don't, if you're going to go to war with someone, you're not like, hey, here's our guns. We're going to just lay them down to you. Hey, we're surrendering. That means you've lost. In the kingdom of God, that's the biggest sign of strength. He's saying, look, okay, you, you walk up to your chair. All right, I'm going to lay down my guns. I'm so scared to trust you right now, but that thing that happened to me when I was 12 years old that I've been blaming you for, I'm going to lay that down. You know, all the guilt that I've been carrying, I'm going to lay all this down. I'm going to lay down my defenses. I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to sit in the chair and trust you. That's called a surrendered life. A surrendered life is the ultimate form of worship to God. I had a dream about four months ago that was really rocked me. God spoke to me. Y'all know who the Helsers are? Jonathan, David, and Melissa Helser. If you don't know, they, the guy, he wrote the third song that, um, the worship team sang tonight. Awesome, awesome music musicians. They're just people that me and Stacy really like their influence in our life. Everything they do, they're just awesome. They run a ministry in North Carolina. They're just awesome people that I like influencing me. So in the dream, we were us, me, Stacy, and Melissa Helser and Jonathan Helser were in my living room. We were just talking, we we're just connecting, and I turned to Jonathan and I said, "Man, well, you've kind of made it, you know, like." You've kind of established yourself. You've, you've accomplished all these things. What are you going to do with the next, he's probably 40 years old. I'm like, what are you going to do with the next 30 years of your life? He's like, man, I'm just trying to live completely surrendered. And I woke up. And I knew it was God saying, lay down the tasks. Don't worry about the church. Don't worry about your finances. Seek first the kingdom. Look, 
just I've got just all I need is a surrendered heart. If you'll surrender to me, I'll give you all the dreams that you've had. I will give you more than you could think, ask, or imagine. Imagine. I just need you to surrender to me. Amen? Okay. If the main way, if I'm going to live in rest and dependency and surrender, the main way that I can do that is if I trust God. All right. Now I can trust God because of what he said. See, if I trust God that everything he has said is yes and amen, then I can live in a posture of rest, trusting that everything he said is going to happen. And I don't need to get out of the chair because I trust that God's going to do it. So if God has said something, if he has said a promise, then it is our job to trust until that promise comes into fruition. Are you with me? If all of his promises are yes and amen, and nothing he says returns void, that means every promise he's given you and I, if we stay in the chair, will come true. And that posture I can fully trust. I'm sitting next to him, and I'm trusting that these promises are going to happen. Okay. We'll dive in deeper in a second here, but I need to say a couple things. Where do you get, if, if we're going to live by the promises of God, it's really important we know where to get them, right? Okay, so step one, the Bible. This book is filled with thousands of promises from God. This is, pat, this is the number one way to get a promise. You have two options. You can read until God speaks, and you're like, cool, that, that's a promise for me. Or better yet, if you take up your position as a son and daughter, you see something that you want, you say, that's mine. I'm taking that one. Guys, you, can you, this is such a valuable piece of information. This is the backstop of all of our thought. And so when you open the Bible, this isn't just random words. This is the word of God. And you have to read it in a sense of like, God told me we could cleanse lepers. This is a promise. I'm going to see this happen. God told me that my finances will be fine. Here's a promise from God. You can just feast on the promises of God. This is your number one way to get a promise. Okay. Second way, for the sake of today, there's many, is a prophetic word. All right. I cannot stress to you enough and the body of Christ in this region how important prophecy is. Paul said it like, I wish all of you would prophesy. I wish you would all prophesy. Prophecy is not heebie-jeebie, thus saith the Lord. Prophecy is edification to the body of Christ. Prophecy is me edifying you when I give you a word, and you edifying me when I get a word. Prophecy is encouragement. Prophecy stimulates and sustains the culture of heaven. When we, we are not throwing prophecy into the environment, it just eventually dies. No one's encouraging, no one's prophesying. This is so foundational. The reason why I prophesy almost every Sunday, we're going to prophesy here in a couple minutes, the reason we do that, it's not just for fun. The, the value of getting a promise from God is so extreme. We have to value a prophetic word when you get it. It's like gold. Some of you have known this. I keep this in my Bible. I had a prophetic word by Bob Jones 
this is always in my Bible, when I was seven years old, I, there's not an amount of money that I would pay to have this word. This is like gold to me. I was seven years old. He said I'd be a pastor and I'd teach people. And here's the main one. He said, whatever you would need to feed the sheep, you'll have. I've been doing this church now for two years. A lot of things have not gone well. I am, don't even have time to tell you the stamina it takes to do something out of the box. Like let the Holy Spirit move and try to build a culture that's very foreign. And so when I feel depleted and I'm like, I don't have enough. I'm like, nope. God told me when I was seven years old, I'd have whatever it takes to feed the sheep. So if you need something or there's a lack in my ability, I'm like, nope, that's not true. God's going to give it to me. This is like gold. And I drive home on a Sunday or a Wednesday or a Tuesday, whatever all the stuff we're doing or something crazy goes on in the church. I'm like, I don't know how that happened. I want to learn from it, God, but you said I would have whatever I need to feed the sheep. So all of you have these words. And if not, stick around long enough and you should be getting some prophetic words. Or come up for prayer team and get some prophetic words. I um, probably I, I get a lot of prophetic words. I'm going to tell you how to attract a prophetic word in a second. I was 25. We were on the East Coast with the deans, me and Stacy. Um, this guy named... Um, Dennis Kramer, awesome prophet. He called me out, called me and Stacy out, and gave us this like 10-minute prophetic word. It was awesome. And one of the things he said to me, he said, um, he said, the Lord's called you to teach, and it's going to increase in you by month, by month, by month, by month. And there is coming a day where they will not be able to shut you up because God has called you to teach truth to this generation. And so when I get exhausted, I'm like, this isn't working, God. I'm like, no, that's not this. God has called me to teach. Why is that? It's from a prophetic word from a random night in Connecticut that shifted my life. Now, if I didn't put any emphasis on that word, it would have been like, oh, whatever. But instead, I let it change my life like it's gold. You know what else he said? He said, he told me and said, he said, get ready to be exhausted for God. He literally said, he said, get ready to be exhausted for God. He said, but as you pour out, God's going to fill in. And I knew, like, okay, there's a lot coming. He literally was screaming, get ready, get ready, get ready to get exhausted for God. And I knew there's a whole lot coming. You know what i got to figure out in that? I have to live in rest. There's a whole lot coming. i got to posture myself in rest. All right, I'm going to teach you how to attract a prophetic word. You want to know how? All right, Sarah, I'm going to talk to you about how to. Sarah's hungry. All right, my whole life, all of my friends, literally, everyone's been like, well, if you just hang around Landon at a conference, he will definitely get a word. So maybe it'll like rub off on you and you can get a word. Totally not. I'm not. These aren't my words. I've been told this all the time. <clears throat> I get prophetic words. Almost every conference I go to, I'll get a prophetic word. It's very common in comparison to the ratio of other people. And this is what it is. It's not that I'm tall. It's not that I wear hyper-colored shirts. I'm hungry. Hunger attracts heaven. Hunger attracts prophetic words. If you go to a prophetic conference and you are uh, too arrogant to act like you want a word or you're 
stuck up enough to not think that you need one, you probably won't get a word. I'm telling you, I'm, I, I operate in the prophetic. I can feel when someone's hungry, and I want to give that person a word. If I can see the, if I can feel in their spirit they're not hungry, I don't want to give them a word. So how much more are the people who really operate in the prophetic, like when you know well-known people that we know, just posture yourself in hunger and then steward the word. I'm stewarding words from 30 years ago. Listen, this isn't about me. I'm not. I celebrate all of your words too. I'm just. I'm just trying to help you out. I'm trying to help you attract promises from God. And I'm telling you, once you put the emphasis on how important it is to get a word, you'll attract them. Listen, hungry people do the school of ministry. We sit there and prophesy over each other like for 30 minutes a night. Hungry people come up and get prayed for. <laughs> you just, if you want it, it's there. If you want prophecy, it is available. I mean, I've taken the weirdest, I've had random people tell me the most random words. I'm like, dude, that is like gold to me. And that person has no idea how important that was to me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to feast on this word. All right? Attract prophetic words. Okay. Now, this is what happens. We're living in rest. Y'all with me? All right. We're living in rest, and God's giving us these promises. Okay, so this is what a promise is from God. God stands in the future, and he tells you, gives you a prophetic word or a promise to get to this point. And when you're in, he's telling you, you're going to get here and how to behave when you're here. And you're way over there, sitting down in your chair. And when he gives you a word, your capacity and your character is so much smaller than what you need when you're here. You should very rarely, if it's a word from God, you should think, man, this word's probably going to take 10 years. Because most of us, when we get a promise, we're so, we're, we're, we're little, we're, we're little people. And God, I am too. And God is, he's trying to expand our capacity to be able to sustain more of what he has. So when he gives you a promise, he's looking over there, and this is what he does. He goes, okay, I'm going to, that's where we're going. I'm going to stand right here, and I'm going to daily walk with you through this journey to get you to the promise. But here's the thing, you got to stay in the chair. So we're, we're walking, and we're learning this daily. And this process of getting to the promise is what allows you to sustain the promise when you get it. Okay, now here's a big paradox. This is how the kingdom works. This isn't, I'm not trying to mess with you. The same God that said you're going to disciple nations, raise the dead, and be a great mother, whatever your promise is, these giant things, that same God is the same God that's saying, sit down in a chair. So which one is it? Yes. It's both. It's both. The same God that wants you to do this is the same God that has you living in this chair. Now, do I get out of the chair and run around crazy to go run to God? Nope. Every day, I'm living in rest. I am postured. I am seated in a heavenly position, and I'm walking with God, and he's training me on the way to get to my promise. Are you with me? This is, this is a daily thing. And if I step outside the chair, I'm not going to get to the promise. Listen, I hear people say all the time, the Christian life, it's more di- life is more difficult as a believer 
I have, I've, I've heard this all the time. I, it is more difficult to actually fall. When I got saved, it was fun for a little bit, then it became more difficult. Or when I really gave my life to God, things got a little bit harder. Here's the deal. The Christian life is confusing and hard unless you stay in the chair. I'm 100% sure of this. I'm a professional at not being in the chair. If your job, if all you want to do is stay in the chair, you're okay. All right. I'm going to open up a can of worms here because I want to mess with you. All right. I'm the goodness of God guy. Like, I believe God's good on a level that is uh, scary. Like, uh, I don't think God gives sickness. Like, I don't think God has ever given someone a sickness. I don't think God gives miscarriages. I don't think God's teaching through Hurricane Nate. Very black and white. God is not giving divorces. That is not the will of the Father. Jesus modeled the Father perfectly, and he said, my job is to give life. The enemy's job is to kill, steal, and destroy. So if it's kill, stealing, and destroying, it's not the, the job description of Jesus. Very black and white. That is, that is not gray. Very black and white. Come to the Q&A. You can ask me any question you want on that. I mean, it is black and white good to me. I believe in the goodness. I will live in mystery and live in the unknown before I'll blame God for something evil. All right. But I want to, if you can range with me theologically, or this is just going to mess with your head either way. God does put problems in your life. So when you stand over here, and God is training you to get to your promise. Or if you're praying for God to build you and grow you to get to your promise, this is how he does it. Okay, God, I, I want to be a better leader. This is what I'll do. Awesome. I'm going to put people around you who confuse you, and I'm going to put people around you who don't get your heart. It's not the devil. That's God. I, God, I want to be a better dad. Great. Your seven-year-old's not going to listen to you, and she's probably going to yell at you today. And your two-year-old's going to wake up in the middle of the night. God, I, I, I want older men to father us. Awesome. I'm, you're going to go five years without anyone older coming to your church. God, I want to be the best husband in the world. Great. Your wife's going to blame you for everything. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. What, what's happening there? He's building my capacity. When, I, when you ask for financial breakthrough, he said you, he'll, he'll give you anything you ask in his name. Got to get this. He'll give you anything you ask in his name. So when I pray something in his name, the answer is yes, but he's a good father, and he's not going to give it to me until my capacity is able to withstand it. So I want to, God, I want $10 million to bless the city. Great. Obviously, as of right now, trust me, obviously, as of right now, he doesn't think I could manage that. <laughs> so he's training me to get to a point where I can manage that. Are you with me? God, I want to see sustained 24-7 revival. Awesome. It starts for two hours on a Sunday. And, and are you going to give up after six months? This consistent building that God does, this is God navigating your life to get to the promise. All right, now, in the middle of this promise, if cancer comes up in my life, that's not God. 
Very easy to figure out which one's God. Huh. I can learn from this, or this sounds like torment. Okay, that's the devil. Are you with me? Did I confuse you enough? Awesome. Hopefully I, hopefully I didn't confuse you too much. But this journey from here to here, John 15 calls it pruning. And, and Paul says no one likes discipline until you get to where you're supposed to go. This is the Father disciplining us to get to this point. Two points. This is a child going from first grade to second grade. I don't want my daughter to be in first grade her whole life. So when she accomplishes first grade tools, we put her in more of a challenging position. Why? I'm a father. I want her to be successful. It's the same thing. God does the same thing. And here's the most frustrating point of all, unless you have a renewed mind. God cares more about you going from this line to this line more than he cares about you crossing the line. I, am, I used to think that was like Christian people who weren't trying and didn't have any faith say that. God cares more about the process than the destination. I'm, I'm completely convinced of that. And I've thought about it. I'm like, yeah, I don't, like for my daughter, like when she's 40, I'm not going to be like, cool, she made it. Like, no, I just, I want to enjoy her going through life. I want to watch her have little victories. It's not some finish line. I mean, we've even read that we passed the baton, passed the baton, and now all of heaven is looking down and saying, man, keep going. There's not some finish. We just keep going and pass it to the next generation. God loves this process. Amen? Congratulations, you're a Christian. Life is more confusing and more difficult. And less what? I should stay in the chair. Have to stay in the chair. You have to stay in a posture of rest all the time. You don't have to fight for people to recognize you. You don't have to show off. You don't have to show all your skill all the time. You don't have to socially be on every minute. It's okay. If you're living in rest, God will advance you as you need to advance. When someone lives in rest and another person is not in rest, it is very obvious. God will promote you. God's going to give you everything you need. Just seek first the kingdom. You don't have to get out of the chair and live restless trying to figure it all out. All right. I love that. That was really fun for me. Okay. Now, back to Matthew eleven thirty. His yoke is light and his burden is easy. There's a couple things I want to pray for. Um, I, I do want to say this. If you, Let's just shift Will you be people who live and rest and promise with me? Amen. Awesome. Let's shift into some ministry time.